You're listening to sermon audio from River City Church in Fargo, North Dakota. River City Church exists to make disciples of Jesus who make disciples of Jesus through the gospel of Jesus. You can find out more about River City by visiting our website at www.rivercityfargo.org. Amen. You can have a seat. Good morning and um, Happy New Year. Anybody stay up? Uh, let's show of hands. You stayed up past 10 p.m. Mine was not by choice. They wouldn't leave my house. Um, kidding. I'm kidding. No, we had family over. It was a lot of fun. Um, but I, I did stay up too late. Um, welcome. Today's the first day um, of the new year. We don't often get January 1st Sundays. Um, but I'm glad we have one today. I can think of no better place to be this morning than gathered together with you, praising the name of the Lord Jesus, seeking his guidance as we step into a whole new year. Uh, just a bit of housekeeping. Beginning next Sunday, January 8th, we're going to jump back into our series in Luke's Gospel, which we've been doing kind of every January through May, every spring, if you will, um, for the last couple of years. So we'll be starting next week in Luke 16. So if you want to start this week uh, reading ahead, you can start reading in Luke uh, 16, the first 13 verses or so we'll try to cover next Sunday. Today, uh, we're going to look at a couple of different passages of Scripture, um, in part as we consider a, a new year, what God might be calling us to as His people. Um, but we're going to start with a passage in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. So you can go ahead and turn your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. If you need a Bible, some folks are coming around and can get you one to follow along with us. And if you do not own a Bible... We'd love for you to take this one um, with you. First um, Thessalonians chapter 5 is on page 574 of the Blue Bibles that's being handed out. Um, now, like most people, like most people, we begin a new year with uh, fresh like goals, right? I don't know if anyone actually makes New Year's resolutions anymore, but, but that's kind of the standard thing. What are we going to do differently this year than we did last year? Maybe you've got a list already. Maybe it's formal and you've written it down or you've put it in your to-doist or you've, you've made bullet points in your, in your uh, journal. Or maybe it's all still right here. I don't know. Maybe you have a list. Maybe there's plans to, to be a better person, right? To work out more, to eat better, to be more productive. Maybe build some healthier relationships than the ones you currently have. Spend less time on screens and more time with faces, like actual people. Maybe these are some of the goals you have, or there's others. And these can all be really good things. Please don't hear me dismissing those good things. Our intention, follow through, notwithstanding, our intention is to grow, right? We desire to make progress. And that's what I want to touch on a little this morning. I'd like to to bring forward the idea of godly ambition. Godly ambition. Now, the word ambition often has a negative connotation. Ambition seems sneaky, maybe a little underhanded. But in its most simple understanding, it simply means desire. Now, its roots as a word come from a desire perhaps for honor or power. 
but there can be desire for noble and good things as well. There are right and good desires. In fact, the Apostle Paul in Romans 15, where he says this, I make it my ambition, Paul says, my ambition is to preach the gospel where it has not been preached. His aim, his desire, is that the gospel, the message of Jesus, would be preached and heard and received by people who have not yet heard it. And so this morning, I'd like to reclaim a little bit for us, maybe redeem, if we can, the idea of ambition. So over the past couple of weeks, I've been asking in my prayers for myself, for our family, for our church here, God, what is your will for us? What is your will for me, for us as a family, for us as a church? And in my reading and study and prayer, I stumbled across this passage in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18. That says this, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Great. I'm asking the question, God, what's your will for me? And then Paul just tells me, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, this is the will of God for you. I'm like, cool. Thank you. So let's back up and read the larger section so it makes some sense. Starting in verse 12, we're going to read the passage together. Verses 12 through 18 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. This is the word of the Lord for us this morning. Verse 12. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and who are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. Verse 15, see that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Verse 16, rejoice always. Verse 17, pray without ceasing. Verse 18, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. This is God's word for us this morning. Now, what strikes me about a passage like this is that there's nothing earth-shattering or world-changing about this passage. I mean, there is if you really get underneath it. But, But on the surface, it is just simple, basic, and ordinary instruction. Notice, too, there's not a different list of things for those who are introverts and extroverts. There's not a different list of God's will for you in Christ Jesus for those who are, one for those who are achievers and one for those who are skeptics and one for those who are perfectionists. The only qualifier at the beginning of this little passage, verse 12, maybe you caught it. Paul, who's writing this message of encouragement to the church in Thessalonica, is this. He calls them brothers. Brothers and sisters, this is family language Paul's using. So let me set it up this way. If, we are follow, if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, if you're a Christian, then I think God's word has something to say to you and to me to reorder our ambitions and our desires, to give us clarity and purpose as we consider what God might have for us in the coming year. And we use language like this all the time. From the Bible, descriptors of 
what it means to follow Jesus or what followers of Jesus look like. We use language like this, that in Christ we are made new. We are a new creation in Christ Jesus. The old has gone, the new has come. That the Spirit is at work within us. God's Holy Spirit changes us, conforms us, and fashions us to look more like Jesus. And that this new creation is also happening with the things we love, our affections, our desires, and if I could be so bold, our ambitions. The life of growing in Christ is one that is growing away from self-centeredness and a self-centered life to a Christ-centered life. From self-centered desires and ambition to Christ-exalting, godly ambition. In pursuit of our goals, we often aim at the wrong things. But in Christ, we are called to live faithful lives with godly ambition. That's the big idea this morning from our text. That we can often aim at the wrong things, even aiming, like, aiming at good things but hitting wrong things. But rather, in Christ, we are called to live faithful lives with godly ambition. Let me say it this way. A life of godly ambition glorifies God and advances the kingdom. And in this, we find our purpose and our joy. So Paul's essentially saying, this is your purpose, and it fills then in all the gaps, rather than trying for us to seek out a purpose for ourselves. So what does it look like to have godly ambition? I have, I have four points today and a handful of scripture texts. This morning's sermon's a little bit different than, than normal. Four points today, four marks of godly ambition as we look at 2023. So I have, I have four of them. First is this, that we live from approval rather than for approval. Godly ambition also is uh, service over self, that's two. Godly ambition for this next year is hidden in humility. And godly ambition for this next year is ordinary obedience. Living from approval rather than for approval, service over self, hidden in humility, and ordinary obedience. So let's look at the first marker of godly ambition for us as we enter into this new year. We live from approval rather than for approval. And this is a one-letter difference in those two words, slightly rearranged. But it's very important. It's because I think what's, what, for us, so much of, of what seems dangerous or maybe a little underhanded or sneaky about the word ambition comes from the fact that by ourselves, we have to clamor and fight and try to gain approval, recognition from other sources, right? You do 75% of the work on a team project and all four of you get the exact same grade. You know what I'm talking about. Your sales numbers, like your contribution to your department's sales for the year have put you up over the goals that your department had. And you get a congratulatory Slack message. But no bonus. Right? We feel it in small ways. You get that little dopamine rush when someone hits the little heart button on your Instagram post. Right? Why? Why do these things kind of frustrate us? Or or why why do we focus on these sorts of things? Because I think we are hardwired for connection. We're hardwired. There's a desire in us to be known and to be approved. 
And this is where most of our ambition gets derailed right from the start. If our ambition, our desires are driven by a need for approval, we will chase and chase and chase. And no matter how many goals we reach and boxes we check and rungs we climb, it will not satisfy us. And I haven't lived as long as some people have. But let me just say, you live long enough and you will find how none of these things actually satisfy that need if we're seeking approval. Look with me at Philippians chapter 3. You can turn there if you'd like. Um, I'll have it on the screen as well. Philippians chapter 3. The Apostle Paul, who uh, who wrote Thessalonians, has written Philippians to another group of Christians. And he says this, I've got a lot of things, a lot of things that I'm good at. A lot of things I could boast in, Paul says. I have a long list of accomplishments and of privilege. Things that in the eyes of others should bring me honor and status and recognition. And yet, read with me in Philippians chapter 3, verse 7. This is what Paul writes. I could boast in, in many things, Paul says. But, <clears throat> verse 7, whatever gain I had, I counted as a loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, Paul continues, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, that's trash, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness of from God that depends on faith, that I might know Him and the power of His resurrection and may share in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul is saying that now that I'm in Christ Jesus, I have faith in Christ, which is a spirit-given gift of faith. Now that I'm in Christ, everything about what was important to me is different. Everything. Nothing that gained me anything in my life before Jesus is worth anything compared to knowing Him. And Him knowing me. I'm no longer pursuing the things I once pursued because I thought those things would fulfill me. I don't need to prove my worth anymore because Jesus makes me worthy. That's Paul's position here and his encouragement. Dave Harvey in a book called Rescuing Ambition actually says this. He says, my search for approval is over. In Christ, I already have all the approval I need. Preach that mini sermon to yourself every day. Amen. He continues, Dave Harvey continues, not Paul, Dave. Because Christ's righteousness has been transferred to me, he says, All the time and energy I once squandered trying to be liked or praised or to achieve something to validate my existence can now be redirected toward doing things for God's glory. I no longer live for approval. I live from approval. This is the gospel foundation that we need for any of the rest of what I'm going to say this morning to make any sense. So as a matter of application, a couple of questions. How do we evaluate our, our, our goals and our aims? Is our ambition driven by a need for the approval of others? Or are we motivated from 
the security of our approval already in Christ? How do we assess our goals and our dreams and our resolutions through this idea of where am I seeking approval? How do we know? That's the other question. So how do I know if I'm living for approval or from approval? Well, here's one way to test that. What happens if your idea or your plan or your goal fails? What's happening in here in my heart or here in my thinking when things fail, when they don't work, when they fall apart? What happen, what's happening here and here tells us something about where we're seeking our approval. Here, here's another test. What if nobody notices the thing that you have done? Nobody notices the fact that you lost 10 pounds. Nobody notices the haircut. Nobody notices the the little thing you did at work to make the whole process go smoothly that you saw, that nobody else saw, and now it works, and nobody noticed. It just happened to work. Are we content with that? Are we content knowing that whatever it was, it was good and that the Lord sees it and knows it and approves of your work even if nobody else knows? See, Paul reminds us that everything, he says, everything, everything is nothing compared to knowing Christ. It isn't nothing in that it's worthless, but compared to Jesus, it's nothing. So knowing Christ and being known by Him now reorders and reprioritizes all the rest of our life. Paul says, I count it loss so that I may know Jesus. And then Paul continues. If you read a little further, Philippians 3, verse 12. Paul gives us this helpful encouragement. He goes, not that I've already obtained all this. I I haven't arrived, Paul says. I've not been already made perfect, but I press on to make it my own. That's ambition language. He presses on. Why? Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, Paul says, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Pressing on, straining forward toward the goal to get the prize. This is godly ambition we hear from Paul. And that sets us up for the next couple of marks of godly ambition. First, we live from approval, not for approval. Second, godly ambition is service over self. Look again at the passage we read in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Go back there if you would. Paul says, be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Now, I can't read this passage and not see Paul or hear Paul kind of like a good dad telling his kids how to live, right? Be at peace among yourselves. Don't fight and quarrel with each other. You love each other, right? Then show it. Admonish the idol humbly, but directly. Correct the brother or sister who is just sitting on their hands. Care about them enough to say something. 
value that friend enough to risk the friendship for the sake of their soul. Admonish them. Encourage the faint-hearted. That one's pretty self-explanatory. There are those who are weary and burdened. Encourage them. Remind them of the gospel. Maybe you've come into 2023 uh, stumbling and hobbling. There are people who God has placed around you that are being called this morning to encourage you. I hope they do that. Help the weak, Paul says. Join them in their need and bear with them as you are able. Be patient with them all, Paul says. Even those who should know better. Even if they are faint-hearted because of their own stupid decisions, be patient with them all. Be compassionate. Care. Paul closes, see that no one repays anyone evil for evil. So not only should you not repay evil for evil, but nobody should. So built into this little instruction from Paul is a, is a command, if you will, to protect those who are at risk of evil being done to them. And don't just avoid evil, but seek to do good, pursue good. And notice the direction, if you will, of all of these little instructions Paul gives. They are all aimed outward. They're all aimed toward others. This is Dave Harvey again in his book. I found it helpful. Most people, he says, think of ambition as climbing, upward mobility, always looking for step up and willing to step on others to get it. But biblical ambition points in the other direction, the direction Christ traveled. Our master, Jesus, emptied himself, lighting the path for our ambitions, and we are called to follow him. As we empty ourselves, we find the fullness of Christ. We look out for others' rights ahead of our own. We find joy Sorry, in seeing others succeed, we ask others to help us think realistically about ourselves. It's a paradox. Godly ambition makes us downwardly mobile, Harvey says. Listen to Jesus himself. I mean, I like Dave Harvey, but I think what Jesus has to say is more important. Listen to Jesus himself, Matthew chapter 20. Jesus is listening to two of his disciples argue about who's going to be greater in the kingdom. And this is what Jesus says, Matthew chapter 20, verse 25. Jesus called them to himself and he said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to... Uh, be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Christ came to serve us by giving of himself. And in Christ, he calls us to set aside our own selfish ambition in order that we might serve others. And in doing so, not bring honor to ourselves, but point to Jesus. Godly ambition puts service over self. And it's connected directly to this third marker. Godly ambition is hidden in humility. Humility is an interesting thing. C.S. Lewis, in his book, Mere Christianity, gives a, a little insight on what is a humble person. Here's what Lewis says. Do not imagine that if you meet a really humble man, he will be what most people call humble. Humble. 
nowadays. He will not be a sort of greasy, smarmy person who's always telling you that, of course, he is nobody. Probably all you will think about him is that he seemed a cheerful, intelligent chap who took a real interest in what you said to him. If you, do not, if you do dislike him, it will be because you feel a little envious of anyone who seems to enjoy life so easily. He will not be thinking about humility. He will not be thinking about himself at all. Humility isn't self-deprecating and deflecting praise. Humility is joyful, engaged, and full of deep gratitude. Proverbs 15, verse 33 says this, The fear of the Lord is instruction in wisdom, and humility comes before honor. Humility comes before honor. Selfish ambition gets it backwards. That's what Jesus was pressing on with his disciples in Matthew 20. They were arguing about who's going to be greater, who's going to get more honor, because we're with Jesus, we're on the good team. Like, which one of us, Jesus? And Jesus is like, you don't understand. You have it backwards. Jesus, the one who alone is worthy of honor and glory, humbled himself and became a servant. So Jesus turns all our ideas about greatness upside down. You want to be great in the kingdom of God? We choose the path of humility and service. That's what Jesus is saying. So the question is, where does our pride, because that's what it is, where does our pride get in the way of us walking in humility? What ideas are lodged in our minds, our idea of what is fair, or maintaining our rights, or seeing ourselves more highly than others, keep us from following in our Savior's steps to give ourselves for the sake of others? In the fight against my own pride, I am thankful that I am not where I was. Hallelujah. I am not yet where I want to be. Lord, have mercy. And if the Holy Spirit has has a multi-year goal for my life, I think it's probably here in the realm of humility. Godly ambition is hidden in humility. And fourth, and the final marker of godly ambition for this next coming year for, for me, for us, godly ambition for 2023 looks like ordinary obedience. Here's the kicker. Godly ambition might look boring and basic. Look with me at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, just the chapter before our main text this morning. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, starting in verse 9. Paul writes this, Now concerning brotherly love, the way you love each other as a, as a people, he says, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another, for that is indeed what you were doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. Basically, you are loving people well, he tells them. He says this, But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more, and to aspire to live quietly, and to mind your own affairs, and to work with your hands as we instructed you, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. Remember, Paul here is writing to encourage these believers. And he says, I don't need to remind you to love each other. You guys are really good at caring for each other's needs. And I want to encourage you to do that more and more. Verse 11, he says, and You should aspire to live quietly, to mind your own affairs, and to work with your hands as we instructed you. That word aspire is ambition. 
Make it your ambition, Paul says, to live quietly, mind your own business, and work with your hands. What does this mean? I think in part it means this. That to have this kind of aspiration, it means for us to be fully wrapped up in what God has called us to. If I can direct it to you, it it means for you to be fully consumed in what God has called you to do. To carry out the duties that he's put before you and be devoted to those things more than what's going on around you and in everyone else's life. Now this does not mean that you should mind your own business in such a way that you live separate lives from others. To not care about your neighbors, to not care about the world that you live in. I'm not saying that. But rather, Paul is saying, strive to fulfill your calling. So where do you live? Where do you work? Where do you study? Who are the people in your sphere? What, is the name, who are, what are the names of your family members? I think Paul's saying be devoted, devoted to those people and to those places more than what the rest of the world is trying to tell you that you should care about. One pastor I know said this about a month ago, and it's been kind of rattling around in my head since then. He said this, and it, and it caught my attention. The world wants you distracted by grand ideas for top-down change. But God accomplishes His will mostly through works that have small, pitiful, seemingly ineffectual beginnings. So godly ambition for 2023 doesn't make itself seen in big world-changing goals necessarily, but in small, seemingly insignificant things. Here's what I mean by seemingly insignificant. Like making your kids lunch and kissing them on the head as they leave the door, leave the house for the day. Like shoveling your driveway, you know, mid-snow and at the end rather than just at the end. Like making coffee on a Sunday morning or, or holding babies in the nursery. Like carving out a few minutes each day just to pause and pray and praise the Lord and ask Him for His help. Like, like when we open our day to open God's Word for even just a few minutes, ask the Spirit to help us, to teach us, and then read for a few minutes that we might fill our minds and hearts with God's truth. The Lord has called you to this and is working through those things for your good and for His glory. Don't miss that. Parents in the room, think about it this way. If you're a parent in the room, the Lord of the universe has purposefully entrusted those tiny people who live in your house to your care. In His sovereign will has said, you're the one who is going to disciple that child and love them and care for them and point them to Jesus. For their good and for your good and for God's glory. The house you live in, the place where you work, your little league team, God has called you to be faithful in those places. British writer and philosopher and thinker G.K. Chesterton wrote this, the most extraordinary thing in the world is an ordinary man and an ordinary woman and their ordinary children. It's fantastic. Do you want to do damage to the kingdom of darkness that seems to be spreading like wildfire in our culture at times? Then do something crazy, like be a loving and committed husband or wife who who pursues servant-hearted intimacy with your spouse. Or if you have children, love your family, pray with them, read the Bible in your home. Or here, this is radical. 
Totally radical. Invite your neighbors over for a meal. Share the gospel with the people you work with. Work hard and with joy at whatever it is you have in front of you. Strive for gratitude rather than outrage. And see how different that life looks compared to what's being fed to you from every other source. I know, radical, right? Now, that's not to say there isn't a place for big goals and dreams and aspirations. Absolutely there are. I have many areas in my own life. I've laid out even some some prayers and plans this week to say, man, how could this be a little different this next year? Where can I grow in self-discipline? Areas that are worth prioritizing in the coming year. I'm not saying no to any of that. Some dreams should be big, especially those that are centered around the kingdom of God. But all of those things are built on the foundation of what we just read in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Rejoicing always, praying without ceasing, and giving thanks in all circumstances. If I have any question about what God's will is for my life, I know it includes those things. So how can my goals and my resolutions for the coming year, how can my day-to-day, how can your day-to-day be saturated and governed by prayer and praise and gratitude to God? These are questions I want to ask. As an aside, here's a little what it looks like for us as a church as we follow this charge for godly ambition. Our mission as a church is to make disciples who make disciples. It's been our mission from day one, and Lord willing, River City will be pursuing that mission until Jesus returns in glory. So where has God planted us? Who has he planted here? How can we be devoted to this mission here in this context? Two major initiatives have come from this. The outfitting of this building and the training of leaders. If we want to see disciples multiplied, if we want to see leaders and pastors equipped to serve on the mission field, to plant and to revitalize churches, then most of our efforts are going to be focused here, locally and regionally. It's not to say we won't invest nationally or globally. Absolutely, we will continue to do that. We believe that most of our effectiveness in our work is here. Equipping men, women, and children as disciple-makers in their homes and in their neighborhoods. Training leaders and pastors and planters to plant and revitalize five, ten churches in the coming years. To grow a network of like-minded pastors and planters and missionaries and leaders to expand training and equipping. That's why we're working to identify potential planters and laying down the groundwork to plant more churches. And we're going to continue to, to just press in what it means to live in gospel community, in community groups, in the equipping of saints in River City equipped classes and River City Institute, in the training and assessment of potential planters and pastors and community group leaders and encouraging families to worship together at home and open God's word together to pray. We're going to keep preaching through books of the Bible here on Sundays. So where the scriptures speak to a topic, we hear God's opinion on it rather than man's. And we're going to continue to move forward on this project here in this building, creating space for more discipleship and more training because this is where God has planted us. So we want to steward this space well and we trust that God will provide. And this is just one church. We are one small church. But one church can be a catalyst for renewal that will long outlast us. One person is just one person. You might say, but I'm just me. And the Holy Spirit, through one person, motivated by godly ambition, can transform a family and a community for the kingdom.
while we can and should set out goals and dreams that are too big for us so that we have to rely on God, we must remember that godly ambition is played out in ordinary obedience to God's call on our lives. So the challenge for us is that we all start a year with good intentions, right? We've all got a plan. We're excited about it. We're going to kill it until about February, right? And then we're behind on our reading plan. We're stuck in Leviticus and we're like, I just slow. Right? Our couch to 5K plan has stalled. We find ourselves jogging less because it's cold in the morning and the evenings are easier. Blanket and a bucket of ice cream. Sounds pretty good, right? Binge watching Netflix. You know who you are. Nobody? To quote Pastor Vody Bauckham, if you can't say amen, say ouch, right? Like, so let me just give you this encouragement, this deeply spiritual encouragement from a royal blue tank fish in Finding Nemo. Just keep swimming, right? Sorry, I, Finding, Finding Nemo is a good movie, right? What, what, what is the, the, the challenge in, the challenge is not just to keep doing it to keep doing it, just because, no, that's silly, Why? Why do we labor like this? Why pursue with intention these simple, mundane, ordinary, faithful things that God calls us to? Why do this? Well, there's a promise for us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58. Paul says, Because death is swallowed up in Christ, because His victory over Satan and sin and death and hell and the grave is now your victory, Paul says, Therefore... Verse 58 of 1 Corinthians 15. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Faithful, obedient, boring, walking with Jesus in the places where he's planted you is never in vain. In Christ, your life now, from from the beautiful to the boring, from the marvelous to the mundane, is totally meaningful. Because Jesus has called you, because Jesus is with you, because Jesus has overcome for you, your labor is not in vain. You want to know what God has for you in 2023? Maybe there are some new goals and habits for you to pursue this year. That could absolutely be the truth. And maybe you just need some fresh encouragement to endure and find joy in the things that God has already called you to walk in. I have no idea what the specifics are for your life. But I do know that it at least includes this. Praise, prayer, and gratitude. I know it includes those because Paul already told us, this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. Friends, we've been called to live faithful lives with godly ambition. Lives that are lived from our already approval in Christ Jesus, not for the approval of others. Lives of service to others rather than self-serving. Lives that are happily and joyfully hidden in humility. And that from all of the outside might just look ordinary, but it's just slow, faithful, ordinary obedience to Christ. And in these things, we will find our purpose and our joy. 
So happy new year, River City. Now let's go into the kingdom of darkness and trash the joint for the glory of God. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you. You take us in our place of need and wandering and lostness and you draw us to yourself. You don't wait for us to clean ourselves up, but you come to us in our worst to rescue and redeem and to make us new. Father, I pray you would renew our vision of what it means to belong to you, to be called by you, and you'd refresh the calling on each of our lives, where you've placed us, our family, our neighborhood, our job, the sphere of influence you've given us that we might faithfully and joyfully walk in those things for your glory and that we might receive much joy in it. Would you renew weary hearts this morning? Would you strengthen weak knees today that we might take joy and be filled with gratitude for all that you've done and all that is before us? We love you. We love you because you've loved us so completely and first in Christ Jesus. Remind us of the the weight and the, the depth of that love as we come to the communion table. The bread and the cup, the reminders, the tangible reminders of the goodness of God. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.